0: Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com mailbag podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Moving this to Thursday, am going to give you a little extra podcast stuff on Friday with our uh, Nashville hour that Austin and I do. So uh, we got that on Friday. We're going to move the mailbag permanently to Thursday and we'll keep our um, podcast on Tuesday um, as well. But uh, Rob and Austin, as we get started here, just your initial thoughts on the big, the Big Ten being back and the thoughts of maybe the Pac-12 returning to football as well.
1: I'm, I mean, I'm not surprised about the Big Ten. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it before, you know, the vote. That Just when, when you've got programs like Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, I mean, that's it's three schools right there whose stadiums seat over 100,000. I mean, you don't you don't build those things if you don't have an enormous donor base with a lot of passion and some heavy hitters, you know, in, in government um, that are among those boosters. So to me, I'm not I'm not surprised that the Big Ten went that way. And I think the Pac twelve, you know, in, ends up looking foolish sitting out there on an island if they're the only, you know, Power Five conference that's not playing.
2: Well, which is why they've come out tonight and all of a sudden, you know, within a matter of twenty four hours, they went from no chance to now they can be ready to go in six weeks and start right around the same time the the Big Ten starting and, you know, I think it's hilarious that they tried to blame it on the California laws. And then the governor of California came out and said, wait, there's no laws that's preventing them from playing. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, oh what do we do? Oh, we better play. I mean, like, you know, it's, it, it where's the old uh, sports center and they use the uh, Vince Lombardi. What the hell's going on around here? <laughs> Whatever clip. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where like you just scratch your head at like the decision makers, you know, uh, you know, what, why is it taking so long? It just, doesn't not seem like they're just set up to fail. It does to me.
1: Yes. They're set up to have a bunch of walk-ons playing by week three. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, you know, their protocols, it'll
0: be really interesting to see how that plays out. It'll be, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the SEC. I mean, Missouri's talking about being down, some 10 to 15 players in their opener already, The guys they have in quarantine. So we know people are going to be without players. I think the big question with the Big Ten is, you know, how strong do they want to be in, and how strong are they in really playing? And that was, you know, Austin, I think you and I had this conversation, um, one of many that we had throughout all this stuff when, the, uh, when North Carolina went virtual with their students. You know, and I wondered if, if they were going to hold true to playing football, how, how committed they were and how committed the ACC would ultimately end up being. But it's proven that they ha- that they are committed to playing, that they are going to do everything they can to play. Or does the Big Ten share in that same commitment, um, I think is a question that, that we all have to ask. I think the other thing that you wonder about right now, too, a little bit is, does the SEC come out with some kind of parameters on when a game doesn't, when a game's not played, I know. I know the Big Twelve came out with their set of numbers, X number at this position, that position. Um, I think they walked back on some of that a little bit. But Rob, do you ha- If you're the SEC, from a safety standpoint, do you have to have? You know, do you have to have some number in there that says if you don't have X percentage at each position or this, that, or the other, that you don't play?
1: I mean, how, how do you use and, and, that I, I, reasonable? I think you have to, I mean, I don't know, have to is probably the wrong way to put it. I think it makes sense to put, you know, something in, in place there. I mean, I'd, I'd be okay, like, with the, the NFL with a 53-man roster. Um, maybe that's, you know, your cutoff point And, you know, you'd be at a tremendous disadvantage if you were down 32 guys. But still, I mean, the NFL plays that way every Sunday. But, you know, obviously they built the roster to that specification. So that's apples and oranges a little bit. But I, I, I think having a number makes sense, have a baseline.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just wonder what that looks like because, I mean, you you can't put – I don't know how you put just a hard number because it's by position. What I mean, what if you're down seven guys on the offensive line, which Austin at one point Tennessee was down, I, I think, about that many on the offensive line, which would have made it really hard for Tennessee to play a, a game when, when that was the case. So I, I don't know how you come up with that number, but I think from a safety standpoint, the SEC's got to come up with something, right?
2: Well, one would think, you know, um, but I guess, you know, you don't technically have to. I mean, it, it honestly – doesn't it feel like that Jeremy's just – I mean, like it's going to almost be like high school ball. Like what, Carl Pickens and, and those kind of players that played two ways back, you know, back in the heyday, they would have loved to play played during, uh, you know, this stretch, you know, in the next, you know, three months. I mean, they, it, it feels like they're going to have guys that just can, you know, kind of interchange that have, that have bounced around. Anyway, but uh, one would think that you would have to set some type of parameters, but, hey, Brent, they play in 10 days. I mean, like, you it's know. I, yeah. If you haven't what, done it what, now, what's the
0: point? Yeah, correct. I mean, yeah, fair. Was, I don't know. Yeah, fair. All right, last question before we get into the mailbag question. Initial thought on the NCAA saying it's staying dead in recruiting until January 1. Uh,
1: my initial thought is you've got to do something about the February signing date. What about the de- You mean the December date or the February? No, I mean date? The February. I think December, because I mean, if, if the kid already knows where he w- wants to go, he's been committed for a long time. I think that that kid can go ahead and sign. But if you're undecided, Going to February, if, like make it to April now. I think that I think they p- should push it back to like you know where the basketball period is, which you know yeah, begins. I don't late disagree April. with this. Run runs runs for you know, and it's not just a day. I mean, the basketball period lasts like two three weeks. But I, I think you've got to move the February date back.
0: Just so it gives them a chance to visit, because you're yes. gonna. I mean, if you open it up January one, you'll have three weekends in there. I, I mean, it, it, it's not. It's, we're not far removed. We're not that many years removed from guys taking five visits in January.
1: Yes, but we also are, are coming off a summer where nobody went to went to a camp. A spring practice. You know, nobody was at spring pra- taking unofficial visits. at Spring practice. I mean, nobody was taking unofficial visits in the fall. I just I don't think
0: you can do it in February. And you're also dealing with a smaller number of people that's gonna sign in February. You're not gonna have as many people that you're recruiting in in the month of January as you would if people sign in December. Right? I,
1: mean, I think so.
2: Well, I, I think Tennessee, I think there's a real chance that Tennessee could sign all their twenty five in, in December. I mean like I guess they probably won't. They might leave a spot or two, but I bet you they sign at least twenty three early. And I think kids will want to sign early because they're going to want to lock their spots in. Because I mean, like, you know, who knows? I mean, it's January 1st now, but who knows what happens. Right. When we right. Get
0: it. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it gets pushed back further than that, they obviously have to move it. That'll be an interesting topic uh, on what the NCAA will do with the February signing date. Um, does that change? And I'm, maybe they even wait and see how many kids sign in December and, and go from there. I don't know. Um, but I mean, basketball wise rob that means Tennessee's going to sign um,
1: at least one that's never been on campus before in November, yeah right I mean and, and again that could change but i I talked to i I talked to somebody about that just this week, you know who knows more about it than I do, and they anticipated that, that for now the November spot was going to remain in place and you know and 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 to me that makes sense again if a kid knows what he wants to do go ahead and do it and if you don't you've got the option to wait all the way until May. yeah
0: all the way up until then so that's something to keep an eye on on how the calendar changes if the calendar does change how it changes because obviously it's going to change some coaches can't get on the road recruiting um this fall to to go into in-home visits in december Uh, you can't make an official visit before signing day if you're going to sign in december a very different time on the recruiting front, for sure. All right, let's jump to some questions here. And uh, as we dive into the mailbag, assuming JG is the starter all year, but he doesn't make a big enough jump to get drafted, is he interested in coming back? Would the staff be interested in having him back? I, I don't want to speak for Jared. Um, I, I said this on the podcast last week uh, in regards to guys getting extra eligibility. I don't think ever. I don't think it's a given that all all those guys would come back for another year because. You know, they're gra- they've are they graduated school. Maybe they're just tired of playing. You know what I mean? Maybe it's time to move on in life with something else. So I don't know that everybody comes clamoring back. I have no idea what JG would want to do at, at that point in time. None whatsoever. Um, I don't think any of us does. I just know that when guys get to be 23 years old, you know, sometimes they're ready to move on. They're engaged. You know, they're, they're ready to move on in their life in some way. So I'm going to be interested to see how many – those seniors, not just at Tennessee but around the country, are really interested in using an extra year of eligibility, as well as how many schools offer that extra year of eligibility. How
1: about Brandon Kennedy? Can you imagine him being <laughs> the first seventh-year senior in, in SEC history? <laughs>
0: it, it would be, that's for sure. Um, all right, let's go to UT Sportsman 16. Does Henry T. emerge as one of the better linebackers in the country this year? How good can Key Lawrence be? Does Crouch get any short yardage carries if Hodge isn't healthy? Uh, Go ahead. I'm going to start with the last
2: one first. I'm not sure it would be Hodge anyway. At this point, he's kind of got a calf thing, and they like what they've seen out of D Beckwith through three practices.
0: Are Are you jumping on the Beckwith train,
2: AP? I'm jumping on the train that says he gets carries this season.
0: Really? I don't know if he gets against South Carolina, but so I bet you he gets carries this season. So you're saying this is a true running back. It's not some H-back hybrid deal going true on back there. Back. You're saying he's going to line up behind the quarterback or beside the quarterback in the gun and, and have a run and play.
2: Yes. Built, built similar to Derrick Henry. He's not so, Derrick Henry. He's not Derrick Henry. I'm want to preface that, but he's built similarly. And so I think that in short yard situations, they, they could lean on him. I I think a lot of it depends on, you know, how Crouch is playing on defense, too. If he's proven to be really important, it's not worth it. Just like, honestly, there's no way I would put Ty Chandler or Eric Gray on special teams. Now, they may do it. I just wouldn't because they are so thin at the position we're just talking about.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Key, Keyshawn, the other Keyshawn Lawrence, how good is he going to be? In time, I think he's
2: going to be really, really good. Um, Tennessee's playing him all over the secondary. They played him at corner. They played him at nickel. They played him at at safety. Um, Here lately, he's been getting some work at corner just for depth standpoint. Um, But he's long. He runs well. And uh, they've got
1: high hopes for him. And I think a smart kid, too. I mean, which is why I think they can move him around to so many different positions. And not you wouldn't do that with a lot of freshmen.
0: And I think Henry T is already one of the better linebackers in the country. Yes. Out, come out of a freshman year i think he was that good as a freshman so best tier since
1: Gerard Mayo
0: i think pretty safe to say I, I think he's in a lot of people's conversations around the country he is a known he is a known football player around the country all right let's go to um ball 68 68 what player are players that you expected to be really good or even break out this season can't because they've missed so much time he also wants to know what freshman flew under the radar that you think will end up getting steady playing time? So two questions there from ball 68, 68. Let's, let's answer this way. What, what guy has, what, what guy has missed out the most on, on not being on the, on the field, not being on the practice field?
2: I, I think K-Ron's hurt by that. One day has been hurt by that um, defensively. I think the fact that Darrell Middleton and, and Aubrey Solomon have not played that much during fall camp as far as physical
0: play, I think that will hurt them early on. And I think a couple of those young receivers have been hurt too. You know, the Holidays and the Callaways who, who have missed some time as well. All right, give me your freshman flown under the radar. You think it's going to end up getting play in time? Tyler Barron. Tyler Barron he can get to the quarterback, he can get on the field, right, AP?
2: Correct, and Tyler was walking in the door, Brent, way more physically gifted than a lot of other players. He's a big kid.
0: Yeah, for, further along physically than Morvin Joseph is from a size standpoint. In a physical
2: yeah, Morvin's ripped. Morvin's ripped, but, but, but Tyler's right. naturally big.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
2: when you put him in the weight room, I mean, he's, he he looks good as well.
0: All right, Daglio7 wants to know, uh, and he goes back to clarify this in, in, down the post, so I'll go ahead and clarify it for him here anyone other than Pope that will not be available against South Carolina at this point for non COVID related things. In other words, you know, T Hodge calf, you know, some of the other things guys are dealing with feels like this team's getting healthier. I, I don't know what the injury report's going to look like this time next week, but from guy, those guys who missed some time with tender hamstrings. And I think, I think hands- Raleigh Locklear is banged up enough to where he might not be able to go against South Carolina. Okay. So Lockler could be one there. But most of Jeremy's soft tissue injuries appear to be um, close to being back on the field or back out on the field. Um, DC Vols 25, how's Brandon Johnson and John Mincy done this fall? I've said this about Brandon Johnson. I, I think he's motivated. I think he's ready to have a big year. I think the biggest challenge for him is does he play physical enough at the line of scrimmage against press coverage? Does he get off press coverage? Is he physical enough running slants? I know he led the team in receiving a couple of years ago. I think that's going to be his biggest challenge is can he play physical enough? As for John Mincy, look, Rob, that's a defensive line and hadn't drawn any praise from the head coach about anybody. So I would say, I would say John Mincy probably hasn't had a great fall camp, right? He talked, he talked up Garland and he talked up uh,
1: Jaquan Blakely. Blakely. And those... those are the only two. And I, you know, I think it was, I think it was kind of telling that those are the two guys he singled out. I mean, two guys who, you know, who play, but aren't, you know, probably we wouldn't part of the camp wouldn't consider him in the top five, I wouldn't
0: think. He did give Matthew Butler praise, I think, one day right. too for for playing hard. Um, all right, uh Prog Rock Ball wants to know, I like that prog rock. Is that like Fraggle Rock? What do we got going on I there? I think that's for progressive rock and roll music. Is that right? Progressive rock kind and roll. That's st- the kind of stuff A&- AP listens to. That's way over my head. That's not happening there. Um let's his question is, does JG have to have have to just be have. Does JG have to just be a decent game manager to keep the starting job, or does the staff expect a significant upgrade in his performance for him to stay in? How does the quarterback battle play out if he's just okay, but we're winning? If you're winning, he's going to play.
2: Yep, that's right. He, if he keep playing, on playing, if he's playing clean football, it may not be exciting, but clean football where they where they where they're putting enough points on the board and they're winning games, he's going to. Why do you? What does anybody care what it looks like? If Tennessee's getting a win, should not everybody be happy? I mean, like I understand people want to score fifty every week, but you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt's gonna be really content if nobody's turning it over, and, and and you're finding ways to get W's. I mean, I
1: haven't got. I know there's been some talk about Shroud looking better, but I mean, have you guys got the impression that JT's being pushed?
2: No, no. I haven't. The JT Shroud is the clear number two. Yeah, but but now, Maurer, but, there, but
0: there's buzz. a. Col- there's a clear clear separation between number one and number two as well. Yeah. I mean, so uh, Maurer has struggled. And, and Harrison Bailey, is, as Jeremy Pruitt said at the quarterback club on Monday, you know, he said that some of the things, you know, Bailey missed the first week. And he goes, and then we got all the other contract tracing where we weren't doing the two spot, where they weren't going basically ones and twos at the same time, where all quarter ones versus ones and twos versus twos or vice versa. Uh, where they had four units going at one time, when they stopped being able to do that, that meant Harrison Bailey's reps got cut in half on the practice field. So uh, he's missed a lot of opportunities and a lot of reps because of everything that they've dealt with and the fact that he was not able to start the uh, the, the fall camp as well. Um, Pine Mountain Vol wants to know, which lineman do you think is first-team jumbo tied in? With Jim Chaney goes jumbo. Look, I think it's I think it's either Wanya or Jameer, depending on which one starts, right? If Jim, if, if my if, guess if Wanjay starts, Jamir is going to be your jumbo tight end. Or you think it's going to be somebody like Cooper Mace? I don't, I don't think, think it's going to
2: be. I don't think it's going to be Cooper early on because he's not back to practice yet. Um, and I think Rock, Locklear was a was a possible candidate for that. So I don't know who it'll be. I'm it, going the go two with, were Cooper
0: and Riley. I'm going to go with Jameer. if Wanjay is starting, and if Wanjay is not starting, I'm going to go with Wanjay being that jumbo guy. I bet we see it, though. I think at some point you're going to see it with, with where they're at at the tight end position for sure. Uh, volunteered 87. I know there's a lot of unknowns for the Big Ten schedule, but by default they'll essentially have to play up until the college football playoff starts, right? Seems like a big advantage versus the teams who have to take five or six weeks off, but can't bowl prep for a specific team because the playoff draw would not happen until after the Big Ten season. Second question. I don't know that there was a first oh. – I don't know if there's a first question there. Second question, uh, did they redo the CBS ESPN contracts due to COVID or, to your knowledge, with a USC UT game in 2020 bring in, bringing in roughly the same amount of TV revenue as it did in 2019? They did not rewrite the contracts for, for COVID. Um, there's, there's no additional TV money there, the $44 million or whatever it is they get from ESPN. Uh, will be the same so they did not go back and, and redraw any of that is, is there an advantage
1: to the big 10 schedule if they're going to play right up to the playoff I mean on on the one hand you could say yeah they'll be sharp on the other hand you know they're not going to have any way you know they're not going to have any time you know somebody's injured you know that with something that would be at having about two or three weeks that guy's not going to play yeah so I, also through I mean, the SEC, it gives you time to get all your kids COVID at the first of December and have them ready to roll by January.
0: Or get them in a bubble because you don't have your students on campus and get contact tracing out of the way. And so you don't have that issue going on as well. I, I think for basketball and football, um, and, and obviously not not going out and giving everybody the, the virus. I'm just saying for basketball and football, when students leave, as we saw back in the summer, it's much easier to manage. Tennessee's, oh, yeah. football, Tennessee's football issues with COVID in the summertime happened in July when kids went home for the 4th of July. They didn't have an issue in June. Then their issues reoccurred in August when students came on campus. It so is- Students are leaving you Thanksgiving weekend. So then you're going to get into a bubble, so to speak, you know, and, and continue if you're in the playoff or, if you know, get ready for the rest of your season in a championship game, you should be at full strength, which yeah, is why my- – go ahead.
1: I was just saying, if you don't think that's a big deal, drop down, the, drop down Cumberland Avenue Friday night about midnight and check well, out the lines.
0: It's, it's a huge deal, and it's why non-conference basketball games are going to be able to take place in, in December because basketball teams are going to be okay because they're going to be able to bubble out on their own campuses in the month of December with students leaving and the semester ending on Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. Let's go to Logan Bartlett. believe Jeremy Pruitt has only given exact numbers once on the number of positive COVID tests that this team has had. But what's your best guess on total number of people that have had it on the team to date? Uh, and my understanding is you get three months of no quarantine for contact tracing after that. that is true. Once you've had it, you're, you're immune from testing for three months. Uh, you do not have to be tested for three months. Now, how long the, the antibody really lasts is anyone's guess. But you don't, you don't have to be tested for three months after you have had the virus. As for specific numbers, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think their number in this last round of testing was very low, Austin, uh, like a one or a zero in the last round of testing. But I no. don't know, I don't know an exact number of how many how many guys have had it. I'd I say would, around,
1: I would guess around thirty, since he, I mean, just at least that, just because he he came back and said what, they had twenty three in in July after after they sent about everybody home for eight days. I think that's the last time he's gotten specific, and that might have been the first time he met with us at the start of camp. Yeah.
2: I mean, I would think the number somewhere between
0: 30 and 40. Okay. Um, that's a little higher than I thought it would be, but I forgot he mentioned that number of 20-something back in, in 23. In, 23. At the start I, of camp. I forgot he had mentioned that number. You're right. Um, also from Logan, can you talk a little bit about what goes into deciding who the lead recruiter is? How much is region versus position versus uh, prioritizing of that recruit versus personality? When is this decided? How often are they actually reaching out to recruits, family, et cetera?
2: Okay, so it's done by territory. So, like, everybody's got their own little territory. So, like, you know, like T basically has the whole state of Tennessee outside of Chattanooga, and that's where Niedermeyer has Chattanooga. Niedermeyer has it down into Georgia along with D.A. J has the, basically the whole state of North Carolina except for a small little bit, and Winky has that, and then South Carolina's Winky. It's like T.I.D. Use him as an example. The main lead recruiter is Chris Winky. Who else tag teams that? Well, it's Jimmy Brumbaugh, it's Derek Ansley, you know, but it's still Winky's show. And Winky's got a really good relationship with him. So Winky's hitting him up at this time of year. You know, you're you know, you're hitting those kids up every day. And they're talking to him, they try to talk to him as much as they can within the within the rules. And uh, you know, so that, that's kind of how that works.
0: Well, and then also if you have a situation where a kid really hits it off with a quality control guy, if he had been on campus, that quality control guy might have a greater hand and and greater involvement with with that particular kid. You know, for example, Brian Niedermeyer was the guy for Henry T. But because Henry T. went to De La Salle, and, and that's where Kevin Simon went, Kevin Simon and Henry T.'s family had conversations on a regular basis over the phone too. So my point is you use every resource that you have available to you. Brian Niedermeyer is why Henry T's at Tennessee, but you use every resource that you can provide, you can find that can help you. If, you know, if a kid is a, is really fun, you know, is really a lighthearted, funny kid, maybe Jim Chaney's more involved in that particular kid's recruitment than, than he is in, in somebody else's recruitment on the offensive side of the ball. So you just kind of feel it out and and play to, to whatever you think your strengths are with that individual. And every kid wants to be recruited differently, Rob. You know, some kids, it's all about X's and O's. They want to talk ball, 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 ball. Some kids aren't interested in talking ball. You know, they want to talk about the latest music scene or, or, or this. Obviously I wouldn't recruit very well since I didn't know what Prague was talking about there uh, with pro- progressive rock. But, you, you, you know, you have to alter and tailor that to every kid's personality
1: once you get a feel for what that kid's and not personality just the kid, is. But, but the, the parents as well. I mean, the vast majority of these, you know, these, these cases, parents are are heavily involved, whether that's mama wanting to make sure he's going to be taken care of, get a good education, whether that's daddy wanting to know exactly how he's going to be used, what your plan is, what the, what the depth chart is. And, you know, you quickly get a feel for – for all of that, if you're successful at, th- at this level as a recruiter.
0: Yep, absolutely. I Heart Valls wants to know now that the Big Ten has decided to play, which national sports writer would you most likely to go tell Bite It?
2: Oh, there's several. Uh, how, is
1: it, how is it anybody but Walken?
2: Just T just me up here Walken, 40, uh, you know, Stuart Mandel, Christine Brennan. Nicole Auerbach, who had been really Johnny Fair until like three weeks ago, and then all of a sudden, you know, did like a flip the switch and was you know totally against playing. Um, and, and listen, it's not like I think that this is some kind of hoax and stuff. Like you know, I think so much of this is like you're on one side or you're on the other. No, I'm just on the side of common sense. You know, it need to be need to be careful. I get all the 25 percent attendance and all that stuff, um, but I mean, like the whole notion that like. You know, the SEC and Big Twelve and and ACC were condemned by these these class of clowns back in early July for not nixing the season when they all just played the long game. Now all of a sudden, oh, credit to the Big Twelve or Big Ten for taking their time and just shut up. I mean, get out of here with that.
1: Uh, the Brennan piece today is, I mean, yeah, saying Jerry
2: Sandusky,
1: get out of Michigan, here, lady with the Michigan you, State. Child molester? Yeah. You know, she, she, needs to be, she needs to be fired. I, I want to go ahead and call We're, for that. Er, I Urban Meyer covering up uh, having a, a domestic, you know, a, a wife beater on his staff. Wife
2: beater, molesting ch- children or young girls, molesting young boys, and you want to compare sending some kids out after Un- they're tested every day for Good grief. Unbelievable. What about tone deaf?
0: All right, I heart, you got your answer to that, to that one. Let's go to panic balls. We go out the door here with our final question. How's the You know, the silent all along. I don't know. I don't disagree with you. I was letting you scream, get off my lawn. All right. You took care of all that one for me. <laughs> I mean, listen, you told everybody just now to get off your lawn and you gave the Heisman trophy to D Beck within this in this podcast. So no, you're, I didn't you're, lie. That's you're Rip Ward.
1: That's such a Derek Henry.
0: <laughs> he's Derek he, Henry. No, he's not Derrick, Derrick. Derrick Henry. He's three days in. He reminds I, him of Derrick I Henry. I never said he was Derek
2: Henry. Why are you lying?
0: <laughs> I know you didn't. You very clear you're very much clarified that you're just saying Physically, his size, his build.
1: Yes. Hey, by the way, do you guys remember the day Derrick Henry was on on campus as an unofficial visitor at practice? Which one? Which one? He was yeah, there like I just seven remember, times. It was like the start of fall camp. I'm just, I just bring it up by saying that's probably the most impressive kid I've seen just from a physical standpoint. Yeah, that has, and then that then he has would rolled through it?
2: Then he went to get a regular Gatorade out of the Gatorade cooler on campus, and they said, we only have orange here because Derek Dooley only allows us to have orange Gatorade. And he said, okay, I'm not going <laughs> not come
0: there. That's not why he didn't come to Tennessee. Yeah, I think either. there was a little more to it than that. All right, last question. Panic ball, sack of potatoes, how are they going to shake out in terms of starters and rotation? He's talking about the defensive line, and has there been any progress made there? What, what do you think this starting defensive line looks like? Given Middleton's missed time, Aubrey Solomon's missed time, not that we think starting means the most important thing in the world anyway because they're going to go heavy rotation. Anybody got a thought? I think Rod Garland, baby. Give me
2: prime Garland.
0: I mean, would you got Pencil Butler in? Yeah, I yeah. think Butler gets one in One guy that you put in with a Sharpie. Yeah, I think he gets in there. You know, and then after that, I think it depends on what happens this week and next with those yeah, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I really do. Totally,
2: I think they're totally –
0: no, no one's locked in on the defensive line. Could be anybody. I mean, I think Kevon Bennett's going to start. I think Matthew Butler's going to start. I don't know what the other side's going, what the other two are going to look like. But those would be two that I would say are your most likely starters right now. Going going into you know a week and a half out, or a little less than a week and a half out from the start of the season. So we'll see. Hey, that's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the Volquest.com podcast. But I want to tell you about our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control cooling down, going to change your system, going to turn it to air, going to turn it to heat, back to air, back to heat, all those things that you do. That's very hard on a HVA system. That's why you need to get that tune up. Make sure everything's in working order. Don't just worry about the tune up for your air conditioner this summer. Go ahead and get that tune up for the heater uh, and your heating unit this fall. So you need to call Blue Water Climate Control to get the latest from them and they can come out. They're going to do the repair if you need a repair. They're going to do it the right way. They're going to do a full inspection They'll let you know what you need. You can get that tune-up for seventy-nine ninety-nine. Give them a call today at 865-299-2290, or you can visit them online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Learn all about Jeremy and his staff there. Plus, you can book an appointment online through that website. You can check them out on Twitter at blueh climate. That's our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. For Austin Price, get off my lawn. Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.